0: You know, if Neighborhood Bible Church is anything, we are definitely secure enough to laugh at ourselves. Amen. (laughs) I mean, it's just funny. (laughs) Oh, how many of you are either? How many of you are teachers? You are a teacher. I mean, like a school teacher, bona fide school teacher. We got, we got a few. We We got quite a few. How many of you are principal? Two hands. There we go, we got a principal too. Um, When I was younger, I would often get sent by my teacher to the principal's office. And I would not be the only one there. There would be other future convicts there as well. And if there's anything that we all agreed on it would be this. When one of us asked the other person why they were there, you'd get some version of this. Well, I didn't do anything. <laughs> the teacher's stupid. The teacher's crazy, man. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I was just minding my own business. He sent me to the principal's office. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, statistically, the odds how many times that is said over and over? I mean, Mike, does that ever been said to you before? I didn't do anything. A few, time. a few times, yeah, quite a few times. You know, I mean, if, if we could count how many times that's actually said, statistically, I doubt teachers get it wrong that many times, you know? And yet, there's just something, I think, in us that we just want to, you know, I mean, there's... It, Don, you're going to love this. Even when I get pulled over by the police... It's all an act. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was going so... Oh, I, I didn't know. I was just, In the back of my mind, I just want to scream, I didn't do anything! <laughs> I wasn't going too fast. <laughs> well, you were going 85 miles an hour, Mr. Nacky. There's nobody else on the road. <laughs> Still, Mr. Nacky, you could have killed yourself. <laughs> True, but let's leave that alone for now. <laughs> this morning, uh, our famous last word comes out of Luke chapter 23, when he says uh, to one of the two men hanging with him there hours before he dies, he says, today you will be with me. And the reason why I kind of open with that is because in many ways Jesus is like a mirror, you know? He is uh, a reflection of God's light to us. And oftentimes, when God's light is reflected on us, we can take a look at some of our own brokenness and our own imperfections and become discouraged or become appalled sometimes by what we see. And um, this morning, I think that Jesus gives an incredible, incredible, uh, not only encouragement and exhortation, but kind of like What Dan was talking about earlier, he gives us a solid reason for hope. And uh, part of that hope, part of the real uh, rock-solid foundation of the gospel really hinges on this very, very important text. I want to read from you real quick uh, from a devotional that I bought a few years ago. Uh, It's from an an Episcopal priest back east. And uh, she's kind of writing and commenting on the the events that are leading up to Jesus' death and arrest and eventually when he's hanging on the cross. And I I, I had thought about perhaps maybe extracting a sentence or two or paraphrasing it, but the more I read it, I thought really it stands well on its own. So if you'll bear with me, I just want to read you something very briefly. She says, Whenever someone famous gets in trouble, one of the first things that the press focuses on is... How do his or her friends react? What is the friend reaction? Do they support him? Or do they tell the reporters that, unfortunately, they had been seeing this trouble come for a long time now? One of the worst things that a friend can do is what Peter did. Modern paraphrase would go something like this. We weren't friends exactly Acquaintances might be a better word. Actually we just worked together for the same company, I mean, uh, not together, just near each other. My desk was near his I I didn't really know him at all. You know? That kind of human and and that Peter had as Jesus is on trial and, and, and a little girl a little girl asks him, You're one of his followers, aren't you? And then she writes, no one knows what Judas said. In John's gospel, he doesn't say a word, but where he stands says it all. After he has led some 200 Roman soldiers and the temple police to the secret garden where Jesus was praying, at the end of the night, Judas stands with the militia. Even when Jesus comes forward to identify himself, Judas does not budge. He's on the side of weapons and handcuffs, and he intends to stay there. Maybe it was not for his own safety that motivated him. Maybe he simply just fell out of love with Jesus. This happens sometimes. One day you think someone is wonderful And the next day, he or she says something or does something and it begins to make you think twice about that person. They remind you of the difference that stands between the two of you and you begin to have bitterness in your heart over that. Given long enough, the bitterness and the difference, you can even begin thinking of a way to strike back at that person. I remember being at a retreat once where the leader asked us to think of someone who represented Christ in our lives. Who, represent, who represents Christ in your life that you could speak of today? And one woman stood up quite puzzled. And she said, I had to think very, very hard about that one. And I kept thinking, and I kept thinking, and I kept thinking, because I had to ask myself, who is it, That has told me the truth about myself so clearly that I wanted to kill him for it. One way that Christians often can avoid seeing our own reflections in the mirror is to pretend that the story of Jesus hanging on the cross is simply a story about Romans and Jews. Romans and Jews who (laughs) conspired together and killed our Lord and Savior, but as long as they remain the villains, then we are off the hook. But unfortunately, if we truly, truly think about it, this is not a story that happened a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is a story that asks us deep, penetrating questions today. So let's go there now and stand beneath Jesus as he hangs on the cross in between two criminals. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask, God, that you would open our eyes to your heart for us, God, to the, for the heart of God, for the men hanging with him and the men standing beneath him. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm in Luke chapter 23, verse 33. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. For those of you who do not have a Bible, uh, we've got some that, that uh, if you just kind of raise your finger, uh, we, can, we can get you a Bible if you want to follow along in an actual Bible. I think it might be up here too. Yep. Beginning in verse 33 says, when they came to the place called the Skull, Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, so the, the, Luke is getting an eyewitness account, you know, enough to know that Jesus is placed in the center of these two criminals. Verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That was quite common for Roman executioners. It was a great spot to get. Because the Roman executioners, the ones who actually nailed a criminal to one of the cross beams that would be hanging on the scaffolding there, they would get to get the clothes. And I don't know how good a clothes criminals had, but uh, nevertheless, they, you know, they had closets as thick as ours. Verse 35, the people stood watching. The people stood watching and the rulers sneered at him and they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. By the way, this is a very, very important theological statement because they're essentially saying, how could he be the savior of the world if he cannot save himself? There is a bit of logic to it, isn't there? The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a notice written above him, a little, a little wooden, wooden uh, be, uh, plaque, whatever, that said, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us with you. But the other criminal rebuked him. The other criminal said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we're being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. The word for criminal here in the Greek is is not just, you know, stole a pack of gum out of the candy store. This is uh, the word for armed or violent robbery. So, uh, you know, and actually the thought is, most scholars, the thinking is, these two criminals were with Barabbas, for those of you who know the story, and they had kind of an armed burglary attempt to maybe either steal weapons or something that would elicit a Roman uh, death penalty, and that, of course, Pilate brings Jesus and Barabbas out and says, which one do you want? They retain, you know, they say crucify Jesus. They release Barabbas, but Barabbas's two cohorts are left behind to face this kind of, you know, public execution the next day with, you know, that same day with Jesus. And so, uh, you know, the, these are, whether that's true or not, and that's just speculation in either event, these are some bad dudes. You know, in their day, they took out their 30-odd sixes and they were going to go to town with them. But actually, in their day, they only had swords about 18 inches wide. Anyway, or long. <laughs> Big difference 2,000 years has had. Um, verse, verse, where are we at? Verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's break this down. Now, that Jesus would be crucified by true criminals was predicted several centuries earlier by the prophet Isaiah. If you go to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. Uh, Isaiah predicts that Jesus would be counted among the transgressors. He would be counted a criminal. That the, the, the future Messiah would be known as a criminal. Of course, the Jew, as the Jewish priest looked up there, that's exactly what they saw. Three criminals. And as I said earlier, the statement of their logic, the reason why they're, they're so passionately jeering at him is because they, they do believe he cannot be the savior of others if he cannot save himself. But theologically and interpretively, we have two things happening here. And I want you to see it. On the one side, we have one side, which is the soldiers, the priests, and the one criminal. And then on the other side, we have Jesus and the other criminal. And I want you to really look at the text again in the scripture, and you're going to see something just kind of explode out of the pages if you haven't noticed it already. On the one side, we have a side filled with anger. They're mad. They're insulting. They're jeering at him. They're saying, come on down if you're the Messiah. It's not enough that he's hours away from dying. They're going to let him have it every single minute he's hanging there. Come on, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, come on down. You've got the Roman soldiers waving the little thing of vinegar by him, saying, come on, if you're the Messiah, then come on down and save yourself. You get this sense of anger. What does the Bible say that the other criminal was doing? He was insulting him. He was insulting him. There's, 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 he was mad. Hey, if you are our promised Messiah, then what am I doing here? What am I doing hanging on this cross? I don't want you next to me. I want you down there getting me out of this mess. I'm mad. I'm angry. Come on. If you are God's Messiah, perform. Do something. You get this this sense of anger on the one side. And it's indicative of almost all of their statements. You find a real negative imperative. Then you go to the other side. And you find almost the opposite of anger, forgiveness. What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. He's not excusing their ignorance by any means, but he's showing us that our God is a God of compassion. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They've missed it. They've missed it completely. Forgive them. Of course, many of us would expect that of Jesus, right? The real miracle and mystery of this passage, the one that just blows me away, is the other criminal. At what point did he come to the conclusion he came that not only does he defy the crowd, defy the Romans, defy the leaders, and defy his other friend hanging on the cross, but he actually ascribes to Jesus the title that they are mocking him for. Do you get that? Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? Jesus, when you get to where you're going, will you remember me? I'm going to throw my hat in your corner. It's amazing. I mean, if you've blown by it all these times before, focus on it for a moment. Where did this come from? Perhaps, perhaps he was angry at Barabbas and saw in Jesus, what could he have done compared to Barabbas? This man must have done nothing wrong, perhaps. But I don't think so. My guess would be, Jesus was well known. Perhaps even Barabbas knew of Jesus very well, may even tried to have recruited him. And perhaps the other thief, whether in that moment or at some point earlier, there was a seed, a seed of saving place, of saving faith, planted. Whereas that thief is hanging there, gasping for air by the way, because that's how they died, through suffocation. Gasping for air. He's looking at them. He's looking at his friend. And he's looking at Jesus. And he's saying, something doesn't add up. He's listening to them insult him and mock him and say all of these kinds of things. And then he looks over at Jesus. And Jesus is saying, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he's looking and he's saying, I want to be with him. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to become that. The last few hours I have to breathe, I want to be with this one. Jesus, when you go to your kingdom, will you remember me? And then Jesus, this completely out of nowhere question elicits a completely out-of-nowhere comment from Jesus. Jesus uses that powerful word, today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, we're going to get to a moment, kind of some of the application of this. But before we go there, I want to digress for just a second because this particular verse in the Bible has elicited a lot of questions, you know. And, and, and this has elicited questions not just from those who have faith in Christ, but particularly by those who have not. Uh, when I was doing some of my graduate work, and I had to read essay after essay after essay, I was amazed if you were to add up all of the authors of essays on this text, you'd be amazed at how many well-known atheists have written papers on this text, it fascinates them. This kind of moments before you die, compassion and grace given on this thief, just absolutely fascinates them. And and, and, and quite frankly, they wrote some good papers about it. And and the real question they're, that they're trying to answer, I think is perhaps quite difficult for them, but, but for some, especially New Testament scholars, is what exactly happened after Jesus died? Did he just go to heaven? Did he, you know... And, and, and really, to give you a gra- grasp of that, now just digress for a moment, I'll give you kind of the quick version of it. Um, what's used in the New Testament for, for the word hell is often the word Hades, and there's a big misunderstanding about this. I'll try to clear it up as, as hopefully, as succinctly as possible. The word Hades in the Greek comes from the word Hades right? It's not rocket science. Hades and Hades, it's almost a direct translation. The word hell comes from actually a different word, a transliterated word from the Hebrew, which is the word Gehenna. So Hades and Gehenna are not the same word and in many ways would not have been understood as the same concept. Hades is that place where as you die, and, and your spirit disembodies from your body, right? You're not, you're not people who have a spirit. You're all spirits that have a body. That's what makes us different from animals. You're, you're spirits that have a body. And of course, as your body dies, your spirit is disembodied. It's still living. It's just you know, separated from your body. Your body dies. Paul says to be separated the body, from the body is to be at home with the Lord. So there's a separation that takes place and Hades is really that, that generic, and, and I'll admit, I don't think it's even very well described. I, I think the word exists because we have to assign a name to the place. But it's, it's that place where disembodied spirits kind of dwell, you know. And within that, you find two other descriptions of places. You find the word Gehenna, which is what we would call hell. And you also find the word paradise or... or uh, Um, uh, abraham's bosom and uh so in that just to give you a couple (laughs) sorry about that just uh, (laughs) (laughs) you will never forget that one now will you (laughs) and so just to keep this short when jesus said to the thief on the cross Today you will be with me in paradise. It's literally the death of Jesus going into that realm of Hades, uh, and and essentially because death could not keep its hold on Jesus, because he he not only was he wrongfully killed, but there was no there was nothing within him that 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 warranted death in terms of a sin nature. He he literally, you know conquered and was victorious over death over hades and now of course you know is in the presence of god with this realm of paradise i don't mean for this to be as confusing as it is uh i'm not trying to be too confusing but to just know that what he's essentially telling the thief is today you are going to be with me in this realm of paradise which comes from an old persian word which means an enclosed garden and that this paradise, we are going. Is, there's going to be a freeing of the captives, as we now, you know, obviously, where do we go now? We go to heaven, and so Jesus is essentially promising that priest, or that 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 thief, that he is going to be with him in that kingdom, and that that kingdom is an enclosed, protected spot where God's rule takes place. And where our ultimate fulfillment as people takes place as well. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that kind of a beautiful... This thief was neither baptized, never took communion, never had time to serve God in any way, really, other than a few hours on the cross. He did no works He only believed. This is hard to accept for those who add requirements to be forgiven by God or who busy themselves trying to earn their way into paradise. And the thought is well, that's too easy. That's that's too naive. We can teach that to Sunday schoolers because that's all they understand. But come on, we're adults now. Let's be reasonable about these things. We need to sit down. We need to figure this out because it can't be that easy for us. The problem is this text is here. I can't take it out any more than you can. It's case closed. End of story. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's, in our in our understanding today. It's like saying you're going to go you're going to come to heaven with me. The thief on the cross had assurance that not only would he be remembered, but that Jesus is going to bring him with him. And that Jesus gave that man the greatest gift that he's willing to give anybody, no matter how bad it gets. Today, you will be with me in paradise. God's grace and forgiveness is free. It's available. You simply have to believe and have faith to take it. And it can be an offense to our sensibilities. It's meant to be an offense to our sensibilities. But the text is the text. It's what Jesus said, and it's what he meant. You may ask, well, why is this story in here? I think part of it's for us, but I think part of it is this. When Luke wrote this, there were many Christians who were in jail, in chains, and they were hanging around other criminals. And I bet you some of those other criminals who were about to die, you know, Roman execution along with these Christian martyrs who were about to also die Roman execution, they remembered this story from Luke, and they would say to the person chain chained next, next to them, do you want to pray with me right now? Do you want to pray with me and come to Jesus' kingdom with me? Come to paradise? And I, you know, when, one thing, when you're on your deathbed, you're going to be open to a lot. And I'm sure quite a few of them thought really good, really hard, good and hard about the crucified Christ on the cross, offering forgiveness and grace to a convicted armed robber. All right. I'll end right there. I think I think we need to go no further than that. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, help us to remember. grace, Lord, that our lives are characterized by grace. And Lord, help us to not forget this week the words, the famous last words you had said to the thief hanging on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, in that enclosed garden that is protected by God where the manifest presence of God is where our ultimate fulfillment is found Lord, although this life is important it is temporary it doesn't take too long to live on this earth to realize suns go up and sun goes down years come and years go, and that, Lord, there must be something more than just this. God, I pray that like that thief on the cross, we would look at the mirror, look into the mirror, look into the mirror of all those angry people, and then look into the mirror of the man filled with forgiveness, of the man filled with God's light, and say, I want to be like that. I want to follow that. I can respect that. These bozos, they got everything they wanted. They got Jesus hanging on the cross and they still can't let it go. They still can't just let the man die. They've got to insult him to the very end. God let us never become like that. But like the thief, to look to our right or to our left and see Jesus see his love and forgiveness, and say, Father, fill me with it. Guide me with it. Help me to spread it across our community as we represent the love and the power of Jesus Christ together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming this morning. Tonight we have our NUMA service. It begins at 6, and I really invite all of you to come. Uh, it's a little less formal, so you can come in your pajamas for all you want, uh, but it's where we're going to, we're, we're going to, sometimes you've got to do something with your Christianity. And tonight, we're going to pray for each other. We're going to worship. We're going to get on our knees. We're going to lift our hands a little bit. We're going to do all sorts of fun stuff as we can just express our love for the Father and also experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, have a good week, and uh, we'll see you next week for uh, what is in some ways our final famous last word as we head up to Easter. So God bless you all. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you hopefully tonight, if not next Sunday. Take care. Take like care.